As we conclude our tour of Vermont, we cannot leave the state without talking about a set of mysterious disappearances known as the Bennington Triangle. Situated in southwest corner of Vermont, the Bennington Triangle is an area of high strangeness. Join us as we recount some of these cases. Everybody, welcome back to a new episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host Pagan. How you doing this week? Doing pretty good. I hope you're doing well as well. Uh, it's been headache day. I've got a huge yeah. pressure headache sinus thing. It's actually going away now, though. So I, it's it's one of those deals where I wake up with them and they last just till they run out of steam. So at least. Oof. At least it's wearing out right as we get into this episode. Uh, as people heard from our pre-roll, this is going to be an interesting case. It's If anyone out there, we'll just say off the top, if anyone out there has heard about missing 411, if you're familiar with the phenomenon of people going missing while hiking or out and about, uh, we are kind of fascinated with those cases. Right, Pagan? We are very fascinated with those cases. If you haven't watched the documentary that's on YouTube, it's called uh, The Missing 411, uh, The Hunter, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. It is exceptionally well done and pretty terrifying. Uh, yeah. And I, I recommend go watch it, folks. We, we'll talk more about the 411 later, but go check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Can, can so I, it's, y- it's awesome. Can I put out a, like a dummy disclaimer there because I'm the dummy in this case? So I yes. watched Missing 411 The Hunted for free on Amazon Prime, what, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, whenever you and I first mm-hmm. got on and got really jazzed about that. Well, we went to go rewatch it the other day. Uh, I should say I went to go in and I saw, okay, they have the they have Missing 411, which was a charged, you know, a rental fee. I said, okay, whatever. I'll go back and rewatch the one that I really liked. But when I clicked onto it in Amazon Prime, I got another one that threw a rental fee at me. So be careful. There's two versions of Missing 411 The Hunted. One is free with Prime. One is a rental, even if you have Prime. So mm-hmm. just do that extra legwork and save yourself five bucks or whatever. And uh, go subscribe to the Patreon on that note. There's a little yes. plug to people right off the bat. Uh, tomorrow on Patreon, I've got a cool article coming up for people about UFOs, and mm-hmm. also on t- tomorrow is the Champ episode on the YouTube channel going up. So that's I'm excited to see that. That's gonna be a fun one. I, I like that. It was I had a lot of footage to choose from too. Like there was a lot of stock mm-hmm. footage, very available of water and lakes, and so it made it a, a pretty uh, pretty good experience. I it was just a fun one overall, and the reception on the Champ episode was great. So thank you everyone out there. Um, That will also be my last segue before we dive in to say if you want to leave some reviews on iTunes or any sort of podcast platform, we'd love that. It helps us in the rankings and ratings. And so, yeah, leave those. We'd love to incorporate them into the website or anything of that sort. So, Pagan, let's do it. Let's talk the Bennington Triangle. Let's talk all about the creepiness of the Bennington Triangle. So in 1992, the phrase Bennington Triangle was actually coined by Joseph Citro. He was a local author on all things ghostly in New England. And 
fun tie-in, he uh, made some of the other books that you and I have run across in our research, such as like The Cryptids of Vermont and All Kind of Monsters of Vermont, I think it might be. He's got his I think monsters of Vermont. Yeah. hands in all of that amazing, like a cult of the region, if you will. So love that sort of tie-in. He's the one that ended up coining this. And uh, this specific triangle is fairly loose in where it actually... Mm-hmm sits and all that i've seen we just yesterday pulled up a couple different maps with a couple different triangles posted on it but generally it is centered in glastonbury mountain and would include some or most of the area in the towns immediately surrounding it that would be bennington woodford shaftesbury and somerset so we got Mm -hmm. this kind of nice little area and i'll i'll work up a thing for chat to see on here but uh, this is also a reminder to everyone if you want to see some of these photos these maps uh, Pagan will have those all in the vault notes that will be out when you guys are yes. listening to this in MP3 format. Um, and people in our chat, I'll be flicking some different pictures up for you so you can enjoy. Pagan, want to tell yes, us? Yes, we have little, lots of good stuff. You want to tell us a little bit of the history of this place? So the history was actually home to the Algonquin Nation, specifically the Abenaki tribes. And this tribe never actually went to the top of this mountain, the and that's the Glastonbury Mountain. And they said it was cursed, and that's because the four winds meet on the top of this mountain. Now, if anybody's ever been hiking, you would probably know that usually winds will change, but apparently all four winds come to a head at the very top of this mountain. Yes. That being said, the only reason they would ever go to this mountain is to bury the dead. So this place is an Indian burial ground, which could explain for some of that strange energy that we've got going on on this mountain, which we'll talk about shortly. Yeah. The Native American lore also talks about a man-eating stone. Yes, it's a stone that apparently can consume a man if you step on it. And apparently it's so big of a stone legend that if you step on it you don't even have time to scream before it's consumed you whoa okay that's fast that's that's a fast stone Uh, (laughs) that's a hungry stone in my opinion (laughs) a very hungry stone we we kind of talked about this when we were you catching up yesterday that this myth of of this stone sounds really crazy but a lot of people in the area are thinking they're relating it to actual sinkholes or just even ravines that kind of crop up you know you don't see it there don't expect it um hiking trails maybe that have given out and stuff like that um which are all you know i'm just throwing that out there for our for our uh, people that are critical of the paranormal there is you know some idea that maybe these people are just like falling into the ground and the earth uh but that Mm -hmm. i mean how how often does that happen i don't know like how how likely is it for people to be falling into just holes in ravines this much i don't know be part of i it's guess our discussion a very strange thing there's some interesting paranormal occurrences that kind of might link up to this but we'll talk more about that when we get to some of the actual missing cases and can potentially tie them together yeah so let's continue on with the history okay. in 1761 benning wentworth who was the governor of new hampshire drew up the land charts for the territory that would soon become vermont One of the townships he drew up was around this mountain, which is Glastonbury Mountain, in the southwestern part of Vermont, northeastern, uh, northeast of the town called Bennington. Of course, it was named after him. This guy was incredibly pompous. Of course. And very full of himself from all the reading I did. Uh, He named the mountain Glastonbury after the small associated township of Glastonbury in the UK. 
Oops, didn't mean to hit the microphone. Apologies. That's, you're fine. I, I accidentally clicked for, for the people in audio version that couldn't see it. There was a sound. I, I, I was trying to click on a map, but it turned on a video. It's oh. one of those nights. <laughs> uh, when the British and French settlers did arrive, the Abenaki did warn them, don't settle on the mountain. But, of course, you know, they chose to ignore the natives who had lived here much longer than they had and built a settlement anyway. After the Civil War, the township of Glastonbury began to bustle into a booming coal and logging community. In the 1880s, they had completely stripped the mountain of its trees, and the town did begin to dry up. So those are some of the starts of this town, and this town is one of those things that if they just listened to the people who had lived there, maybe all of the stuff that comes later that we're going to get to would never have happened. I, I truly believe that. I believe that the Abenaki did warn them. I think the spirits started to mess with them. And of course they just went ahead and destroyed everything. It is, it is a crazy, crazy kind of, I don't know. Just the, the, the ominous lore to it is perfect. It sets up a whole scene you know, never listen to the natives is the old American way, you know, just totally ignore all of the legends uh, and, and just think that they're totally crazy when, you know, uh, like, again, I think even the people in chat that are, you know, cynical to the paranormal and stuff like that are skeptics. I think a lot of us can agree that legends oftentimes do come from a kernel of truth. Right. So even mm-hmm. if the idea is, hey, you know, maybe, maybe they're not man eating stones, but you still got to be careful falling into things. And it's just it's fascinating to listen to how we just it's fascinating to read about how we did not listen at all in the past time and time again that will screw over the american it's settlers so yeah good luck guys <laughs> it's so true so in 1892 there was a sawmill worker henry mcdowell who decided that he was going to get drunk and bludgeoned his co-worker to death with a rock after he heard voices in his head telling him to attack He was committed to asylum, but did manage to escape. And he did make his way through the the woods, um, which I believe is called the Green Forest of Glastonbury Mountain towards Canada. But he disappeared. Nobody ever found him. So we got our first disappearance then. I would say that maybe they think that he disappeared closer to Canada. But I think that maybe the woods near Glastonbury ate him. Uh, yeah, I, I, maybe even what we'll be talking about through this episode. Uh, uh, did we actually say that in the intro to this one? We're going to be spreading this out over two. We kind of prefaced it for people in Twitch chat here today, but I don't know if we really dove into it in the actual recording. We're going to be talking about a couple of these cases um, in, in some detail. So this is going to be our first episode we split into two parts. So pardon us if we uh, are a little clunky in any of that, uh, a.k.a. forgetting to even tell you guys about it. But... The reason we wanted to do this, we wanted to keep the stories as as concise and cohesive as Mm -hmm. possible. We did not want to shove five plus missing people into a day plus a bunch of different theories. But again, as, as we go through this, we're going to see strange mysteries, high strangeness, like I talked about at the start. Not necessarily one thread that fits all of the stories either. And so to see someone immediately disappearing from the town whether or not they did just skip the border to canada it is i don't know that that in itself paranormal slash very real and documentable disappearances are happening in this town and a 
weirdly mm-hmm. consistent rate, I guess, is the thing we can all agree on. It's it's very yes. bizarre how the people just, yeah, they're gone. Yeah, like they just go poof. So five years later, John Harbour, a Woodford citizen, went into Brick Hollow just south of Glastonbury to hunt. He was shot by persons unknown and was found with his fully loaded gun next to him, seeming to have been dragged several yards. And this murder has still never been solved. They have no idea who shot him. They don't know who dragged him and why they just put his gun next to him instead of taking it with them. You know, back in that day, a a rifle was not a cheap item. Even today, rifles are not cheap. No. So, you know, that could have been something that they could have taken with them and they could have sold it. And it's not like we have, you know, tracking numbers and all that like we do now on rifles. They could have easily done that. They didn't. It's just very strange what happened to him and the way it happened to him. It is weird. It reminds me, I'm just going to say it reminds me of the case in the Missing 411, The Haunted Show, where there was a man who had his stuff laid out in very peculiar manners, and he had stuff of his moved, and it was just laid up against trees in weird ways that it's like, there was some planning, but not. I, and, and this feels, I mean, obviously he was shot. So there was something with a gun. And he's going to assume a human with a gun here shooting him. Uh, but then kind of strange what, what they did with the body, you know. And I mean, if it was a hunting accident, I don't know. I, I'm just curious. There's not the most detail. Yeah, it, w- it was just extremely strange the way that they did it. And this guy was not... Uh a novice hunter in any way shape or form he was actually a a skilled hunter Hmm. and had been on several hunts up in that area and knew the area quite well so it was extremely strange the way that this murder took place and what happened with it so continuing on in 1894 the logging and coal business completely dried up they had stripped the mountain literally of every tree and shrub on it it was barren And they turned it into coal to be shipped up to New York for the steelmaking purposes. And when they realized there's nothing left, they were very concerned about the financial state of the community. So the community decided that they were going to invest the remaining money into remodeling it into a tourist destination for the summer. But without the trees, when the snow melt came the following spring... It flooded the community and literally destroyed the buildings down to the foundation. (sighs) Years later, when people began to return to the mountain for recreation, they still continued to discover that the Abenaki darkness had never left. It was still there. So I guess the question is, did the Abenaki's curse of all of their dead that had been buried there and all the, you know, four winds and everything else that they talked about... Did they cause the, I guess you could say, bad luck of this community? And was Henry McDowell actually insane? Or was he hearing voices from the mountain telling him to kill them? That's the interesting questions. Uh, Yeah, and these are really, this is a small-ish area too, right? Like, this is nestled in the middle of the mountains. Like, this is, I don't know if there are all these weird amounts of crazy that are happening here. It's It feels excessive. It feels like a lot. You know, people are already bashing people's heads in. Uh, you know, people are getting shot and left near trees. Like, it is a weird culmination of events. I guess as a guy that grew up in a small town, that stuff, 
does happen, but not not to this degree. We didn't have this many no. weird things. And I guess you could say at the very least, this is a story of human greed, right? Because the mm-hmm. stripping the mountains the way that they did uh, definitely made a lot of the floods and stuff that they would have later on because you're tearing up all the roots and they're, you know, that's hurting with all the erosion and all that jazz. So right. very bad human engineering, if you will. We did a very bad job at that. Um, and, and again, just continued to kind of trample on legends and things in the area that they should have been mm-hmm. looking out for. They should have. And, you know, the interesting thing is when you look at these photos, especially you can see in the photo on the screen for those of you who are um, watching this live and these photos will be in the vault notes. These were very dense woods. Yeah. And if you've ever been to Vermont, the forests are extremely dense. Like you're not going to walk two feet without running into at least two trees. Right. So it, it's very dense. There's a lot there. And so you have to imagine that they did this in a short amount of time. I believe they did this in like 30 or 40 years maximum that they completely destroyed an entire ecosystem. Wow. I mean, they, they it was, you know, they're pumping that coal down to the, you know, down to New York and such, getting that industry moving and bumping and you know just going going way way above and beyond and i I do remember hearing uh, i think it was a youtuber i was listening to the other day say vermont in itself is already very uh sparse of people and now you've got this town which is even more sparse of people out there like this was kind of the fringes of vermont so Mm -hmm. to be in there to be like you said you know trying to log up this area to the degree they were is really wild Yeah. And, you know, they did have a successful business while it was active. But, you know, even now, like if you look at logging businesses, they have to go behind them and they have to replant all those trees. These people didn't replant the trees. They didn't care. They just wanted to make that money. It's all about the money in that day and making that fame and fortune in the new world. And they destroyed it. So it's it's. In that regard, it's a very depressing story, and I yeah. feel awful that they did that. But I'm so glad that Mother Nature took back over and kind of got her, you know, say at the very end by flooding the town. So, Fair. you know, <laughs> I can Fair. be happy about that. <laughs> and now, I don't know if you know this one, Peggy. Was it bef- It's after the flood then, right, that the town mm-hmm. tries to build itself up more as like a resort town in that way? Is no, that, that was before that the flood. That was before. So the flood knocked that out? The flood destroyed oh, the so the building that, that you totally see here in the picture. That was actually the main resort hotel, and that hotel I actually did discover in a I watched a documentary about Sad. this place. And there's only the rock foundation left. There's nothing left. Wow! It's so... literally the railroad, the trolleys that they had built to get up to that area to bring the people up from the below in the valleys. They completely just uprooted everything. That flood destroyed it all. There was no salvaging. Wow. The mountain kind of really did reclaim itself then, huh? It did. It completely did. And you figure, you know, this is far up north. This is, you know, right near um, Vermont's right against Canada there. So they get a lot of snow in the winters. And, you know, you figure they're up deep in the mountains. They've probably got at least six to ten feet of snow minimum. So by the time all of that melts in the spring and that comes rushing down that mountain and there's nothing there to stop it, yeah, it's going to destroy it. They're lucky nobody died. 
Yeah, that's insane, actually. I'm, I'm very surprised and no one got hurt. Yeah. With that kind of destruction. I think people did get hurt, but I don't think anybody actually okay. died. Yeah, that, that's yeah. insane. Okay. Well, I, I guess moving on, we're going to see some people, unfortunately, getting hurt because the weirdness yes. continues from here. It does continue from here. Do you want to talk about some of these cases? Yeah, let me read some off here. So starting with our... Now, th- this one first, Melvin here, f- doesn't... This one doesn't start the official count, correct, of the, the, the missing five, right? No. This one was a lesser-known case that didn't really get a whole lot. And the interesting thing is there are some that say that this is actually a rumored case. And yeah. because we didn't know anything about him we didn't know where he was from we didn't know anything uh we couldn't actually look him up to see if he was a real person so we did include him you know just on the off chance that he is real and this is a real case because i'm nobody shine light on his case and so if it's real somebody needs to talk about it yeah because what what actually differentiates the the bennington triangle cases is they are cases that happen from 1945 to about 1950 uh, it, it, or, or in this specific time period. And it's a bunch of missing persons. This one here, we're going to start you guys with is Melvin Hill, a 13-year-old who vanished on October 11th of 1942. Body never to have been found. And though it's not part of the official five, as we kind of work our way through, we're going to see a couple patterns. And if it's okay, I'm going to kind of shout those out at the start so you can hear them. Yes. A lot of these cases happen in the last three months of the year. So October, November, December, big, big, big times of disappearances. We've also got a recurrence of people going missing around 3 and 4 p.m. This kid, we don't have a time on, but you're going to see some of the next ones really hit into that. Another one is the occurrence, like the amount of them, they're people that... We're familiar with the area a lot of the time. They were maybe wearing bright colors. That's a very common thing. Uh, and I don't know. They just, they had heard, they had known, they knew this wasn't a great space to go. And yet they did. And they all, I don't know. It, it's it's pretty tragic. Mm-hmm. It's pretty tragic. So it is very tragic. And one of the things that you we will also be talking about are the correlations to the what are called the profile points for the missing 411 cases and Mm -hmm. before we dive into any more cases i'd kind of like to quickly go over those yeah and the first one that we have is these are to be a 411 case you have to meet majority of these profile points and the first one is the point of separation so this is the point when somebody gets separated from a group or uh basically they just are not they're away from somebody and out of visual range time of disappearance uh boulder fields are a big commonality they're near water strange weather events disability of illness canines cannot track them or they can only track them for a short period of time before they lose the scent found in a previously searched area if they do find a body missing clothing unknown cause of death and geographical clustering You'll see a lot of these commonalities meet in these cases that we're going to be actually discussing. So keep your ears out, everybody. We're going to be listening for those things. And we'll talk about them, too. But we definitely want you guys to catch them, too. So yes, pay attention. 
Indeed. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll first, you know, as, as much as we're going to talk MIDI next week, let, let me just also preface, preface people that the, this all starts off uh, officially with MIDI rivers who disappear while out mm-hmm. hunting November 12th, 1945. Uh, again, we're going to do more next week, but I'll, I'll still set you up here because we have the time. So Rivers was guiding a group of four hunters up the mountains and Rivers got ahead of the group, never to be seen again. So this person was specifically hired to be a tour guide. They get just a little bit ahead of the group going to the camp, gone. That was, again, November 12th of 1945. <laughs> Moving on, we got Paula Weldon, who disappeared when they were eight. she was 18 years old, December 1st of 1946. She'd set out on a hike on the long trail at 3 p.m. wearing a bright red jacket. Many witnesses saw her go. She was seen on the trail itself by an elderly couple who were not far behind her. She turned a corner in the trail, and when they reached the same corner, she disappeared. An extensive search was launched and conducted, including the posting of a $5,000 reward back in 1946, mind you, uh, and help from the FBI. Uh, dogs and uh, there over a thousand people actually joined in the search. Again, bright red color. We, we kind of, it's it's weird, Pagan. This is a strange case, mm-hmm. and I want to it talk is a about very this today. Strange thing. We are going to talk about her, and we're going to talk about our next one as well, uh, which is James E. Tedford. He was a veteran who went missing on December the first, nineteen forty nine, exactly three years after Paula Weldon had disappeared. He had been in St. Albans visiting relatives and was returning home on the local bus when he vanished. According to witnesses, Tedford had gotten on the bus and he was escorted onto the bus by his family. And he was still on the bus before it arrived, before arriving in Bennington. Somewhere between the last stop in Bennington, Tedford implausibly vanished into thin air while inside a moving vehicle. His belongings were still in the luggage rack and the, the open bus timetable was on his vacant seat. That's the other case we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Super weird, super creepy. He's also the one that we did so much digging into, which we'll get to as well. But he, he oh man, I can't wait to tell you guys about this guy. He was a character. He oh is boy, a character. <laughs> yeah. Should, should I just go ahead and round out like reading off like one liners for the rest of these cases to set people yeah, up? Yeah, definitely just uh, read the one liners and then we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, and that way everyone will have a good idea of these five particular cases, just roughly. <laughs> so, next one being October 12th of 1950, we have eight year old uh, Paul Jeffson vanished from his mother's truck. She left her son unattended while going to feed some pigs. Mother was gone for about an hour, and when she returned, he was gone. Never found and wearing a bright red jacket like Paula Weldon. Bloodhounds tracked <laughs> the scent, but nothing. They'd lost it and gone. No, no further trail from there. 16 days after Jefferson vanished, on October 28th of 1950, uh, Frida Langer, aged 53, and her cousin left the family campsite near Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. During the hike, Langer slipped and fell into a stream. She told her cousin she'd go back to the campsite to change clothes and catch up with him. When she did not return, they made their way back to the campsite. She never returned. So this search Mm -hmm. involved, uh, well, five searches, I should say, were conducted, including aircraft and over 300 searchers. No trace, just gone, totally missing. And again, what the heck? These are, these are, 
not not gone a long time, like just leaving, you know, to change their clothes. That's it. The last one here we have for you. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Peggy, Mm -hmm. I'll cut you off. I was going to say they did say that she was only like 150 yards from camp. Like she was not very far from her camp. That yeah, because she was the one that was found just near the reservoir still Mm -hmm. that they were camping near. Uh, The last one to tell you guys about happened in fall of 2008. A little over, what, about 12 years ago now. Uh, Robert Singley got lost in the Bennington Triangle on the same trail that Paula Weldon had gone missing. Singley claimed, right before I lost the trail, everything uh, condensed into this weird sort of dizzying confusion. Uh, as the hiker, or as an, I'm sorry, as an experienced hiker, Singley tried to get some rest. He found refuge uh, under a large maple that, in some interviews, he says, gave out a haunting aura that called him to it. So mm-hmm. he pat, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, this was just absolutely wild that he he found this thing in the middle of the night, went to it, and found that he was totally disoriented, not where he was supposed to be at all. And they actually ended up finding him, hence why he has an interview. Um, it was 11.30 a.m. on Monday that he was found by the Vermont State Police. So that was a yes. day after he had gone up there. He ended up crashing the night at that tree and just claimed that it didn't feel right. I mean, in, in this guy's case, I, we'll talk more next week, but he was very unprepared to go on this hike. But his encounter is peculiar. Yes, it is very peculiar. And he's an interesting one that we're going to talk a lot about and some of the reasons why we believe that there's Faye involvement with these cases because his really speaks to the Faye. So we'll talk more about that. Well, let's 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 jump back to Paula Weldon, shall we? Yeah, go for it. Lay it on me, Pagan. What what do you find to be extremely peculiar about Paula? So Paula Weldon was wearing a bright red jacket. Now, she disappeared in 1946. 1946 was not very many years after they had completely destroyed the forest. They destroyed this forest in 1984. That's when they decided to remodel. Or 1894, I apologize. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, Not 1984. I'm sorry, 1894. (laughs) Apologies. No time travel. Uh, Yes, they had the logging business had dried up and they remodeled it into a tourist destination for the summer. So the forest was completely bare on this mountain. But not very long later, in 1946, that's what, almost 50 years, I believe. Exactly almost. Yeah, yeah. pretty close. And so that's not very long to have a forest try to regrow on its own. And there's never been any reports, at least that I could find, of them doing any planting to try to regrow that forest. Now, don't get me wrong. Mother Nature is crazy, and she can do some crazy stuff in a short amount of time. But I don't believe that that forest was as dense as it would be today. No, I can't see that. I can't. I really can't. So her bright red jacket, that should have been seen very easily. So... When it comes to the bright red things, there's a lot of fae that are attracted to bright colors. And it, they say that if you actually wear bright colors, especially if you're a child, she's only 18. Mm-hmm. You know, we consider 18-year-olds to be adults here. But at the same time, I I don't know. I think that maybe, just maybe, she wasn't. I think that maybe she was actually 
classified in the Fae world as still a child. And I think that they actually went ahead and took her because of her bright colors, because she was a child and she was wandering alone on a forest trail. The interesting thing is on the trail that she got lost on, there's natural formed and man-made form. There's both. There's Karens. Now, for those of you who don't know what a Karen is, a Karen is where you take rocks and they are, you know, bigger and they get smaller as they get towards the top. And there are mm-hmm. these interesting formations, but there's some that are naturally formed. And they believe that fairies live in those Karens and they're all along the trail. Oh, so maybe some fairies saw her, caught her eye and they caught her eye and, uh, you know, poof, she's gone. The other thing is, maybe, just maybe, she might have walked into a fairy portal or maybe a rift, a dimensional rift. I know it's a little out there, but this is a paranormal podcast. These things do Mm -hmm. happen. Go Google it if you don't believe me. Uh, It's it's interesting. It's a wild case, and nobody ever found her. Even to this day, they still look for her. There's newspapers that still report, and it's been so many years since she disappeared. And she's from a trail. really affluent family, right? So there was mm-hmm. tons of uh, money put into this search. And in fact, this is a pivotal case that saw the formation of the Vermont State Police as a result of this. This was one of a couple different, you know, occurrences that were like, no, we need to have a much more organized, formal and overseeing sort of force in this area versus just like local, you know, municipality police officers that... Again, when you're starting to look in the mountains and stuff, gosh, if you're working with a local police department, it kind of just depends on how well they're equipped to do that. So, again, her case, really, really big. This isn't just some, in this case, unfortunately, this is not just some Joe Blow, like a a lot of these cases seem to get written off as. This, (laughs) she had power and money and all of that behind her being found and not to this day like you said yes that's wild and i think her case is the only one that the fbi actually got involved in that's interesting i got involved in any of the others and that is that something i caught out of the 411 thing before was there some fbi Mm -hmm. guys that rolled up on a case that felt very weird like why they actually roll up to this like it didn't seem like it was yeah, that was in that documentary. I'm trying to yes, think which it was one. In that. Yeah, it was. Was that the was that the first case they talk about where the old man gets lost yes. in the wood? Um, yeah, the, the hunter, this hunter in four one one got lost in the woods, and uh, during the search, two FBI agents rolled up, and they weren't actively helping with the search; they were yeah. observing. Yes, yeah. like that, little old man for something right. when it comes to the FBI. So the FBI did help with this one, which is just, it's interesting that they helped with this one, but they didn't help with any of the others. Very curious. I don't know. I'd love to say, you know, I I guess this is one of the most frustrating things for me is I wish there were other evidence to go along aside from just total straight out disappearances. And in the case Mm -hmm. of Paula, it is a total disappearance. We, not not that any from anything I read. I don't know if you saw Peggy, but I didn't see anything about her belongings being left behind or anything like that. So it's just she a literally total... went poof. Yeah, I I don't know. I want to know. I need something more to go off of myself. I I like as in some of those other four one one cases we hear clothing was stacked funny, or we found this, or we found that. 
However, I will point out the, the case we did just reference the one of this little mm-hmm. old hunter going getting lost in the woods with with his family there like they were on a they were hunting together he was supposed to be staying stationary the wife did comment how nothing was found of his at all no radio no snack bar wrapper like literally nothing that he was carrying nothing. was found not his guns nothing so it was it's pretty wild i guess i'll throw out there probably the the you know the skeptics approach to it which is i would imagine the most I don't even believe that it's super likely, but to, for people to have a red jacket and just to disappear, especially in front of, especially with so many bodies on the ground searching, it makes me think they would have had to fall in, into some sort of ravine, a sinkhole like the rocks warned us of earlier, because the only real thing that comes to mind is that body would have to be out of sight. I, I do right. believe that same old man case I'm referencing. They said maybe a tree fell on him, and that's why we couldn't see him. Oh, okay. I mean, I, 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 mean, I guess it's possible, but I think at that point, you know, I think because he was so close to the vehicles in that case, they would have seen the tree fall. Like I, they would have seen it. Oh, that tree fell over. What? And and, and that's it, where we left him. So. Yeah, I I feel like I don't know. I feel like the falling over tree one was a pretty hard sell for me. I don't really know about um, you know, if it, I don't know how often people are falling into these just unexplorable ravines or something like that. Talk go loco in chat asked, "Do you think it might be a wild animal or a bear?" I'm not an expert on bear attacks, but usually there seems to be a lot of evidence of those. And a lot of yeah, these cases a- reference the lack of that evidence. Yes, that actually the interesting thing about this mountain is it's unusually quiet. Yeah. Like there's that. no animal life, there's no birds, there's hardly any insects. It's quiet. And they say that when people go hiking up there, it scares them because the forest, all you hear is silence. You hear the wind, that's it. But you don't hear birds, you don't hear bugs, you don't hear anything, nothing. And they thought at one point in time that like, oh, maybe it was cougars and all this stuff because cougars are up there. But the interesting thing is cougars, when they attack something, they are going to leave some sort of blood. There's going to be clothing. There's going to be something. There's going to be an evidence, paw prints of a cougar attack. There's nothing in these cases. Nothing. And, And that's the weirdest part. Like, you know, they're like, they try to give plausible explanations for them because, of course, they don't want to be like, Oh, hey, she just literally vanished sure. into thin air. But at the same time, every plausible explanation that they had, there was no evidence to support it. Exactly. So how can you say that? How can you say, oh, it's a cougar and cougars leave paw prints? You know, they, they leave blood, they leave fur, they tear up clothing. They don't, they're not chupacabras that, you know suck an animal dry of its blood so i guess you know even with all the money being thrown at this the one thing i will say uh is and this isn't much of this isn't i don't know this doesn't do much in the skeptics world in my opinion to help you know push it away from the paranormal but i will just say devil's advocate that this is again before the state police were formed there and hence you know, it, that was a it's a precipitating factor to it that it was unorganized and inefficient in this sort of search. So maybe there's mm-hmm. a little bit of that at play. However, again, 1946, they had five thousand dollar reward posted. 
like that, I think, will get people motivated. Clearly, with over those thousand people they had on the ground, people were pretty motivated. Uh, I, I don't know, for a thousand people not to find anything in this relatively small area that she went missing? Because that couple just right. saw her, right? Like, they saw her around the corner, and then she's just not up ahead on the trail anymore. So it's yeah, like... It's, it's bizarre. It's very strange. The only thing that I found when I was doing my reading up on the Fae that they do have lots of different Fae that could have potentially taken her. But one in particular really stood out. And he is uh, the king of the, a type of Celtic Fae. And I will be very honest with you all. I'm not going to try to actually pronounce the Celtic term because I'm going to butcher it. I will put it in the vault notes if you guys <laughs> want to try to figure out how to pronounce it on your own. You're on your own with that one. But I will say his name. And his name is Finvara. He is a king in the Fae world. And he is a womanizer who is frequently known for kidnapping young women. Oh, he likes beautiful, pretty women. And it, we have a photo of her, don't we? Oh, uh, let's see. I think we, yes, that this is, this is, the uh, no. So yeah, for those it. who are listening, um, the photo will be in the vault notes, but yep, you can, it. for those who are watching, you can actually see the beautiful photo of her. She was gorgeous. She was a beautiful woman. And so maybe he took her. I don't know, but he's known to live in Ireland. So for what he would be doing in Vermont, I don't know, but portals. it's very strange. Portals, yes, I believe in portals. <laughs> I mean, maybe you can go between. Also, it should be noted on the document we're looking at. It even mentions there's a two thousand. So the five thousand dollar reward is if she was found alive. Two thousand if found dead. So like, there was a yes. lot of incentive to find her in general. You know, this this was serious money on the line. So that that I don't know. That could be it. And we're getting a little bit pressed on time for today's episode. So uh, Paula, we'll we'll probably catch back up with you later. But let's let's move right along and talk about our mystery man who disappeared right out of the back of a moving vehicle. James E. Tedford. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. Did we go down a rabbit hole yesterday? Because (laughs) I admit I'm very I'm very I, I feel like there's something to be said about all these cases, but I don't know what it is. And I have my doubts about the validity of some of these cases. And especially, I really doubted that James E. Tedford may have even existed because of the lack of information and the abundance of retelling of the story. So James Tedford, again, recapping on him. So this was back in December 1st of 1949, and this is three years after Paula Weldon had disappeared. He was the one visiting his relatives, returning on the bus, when he just disappeared straight out of the back of it. People found his luggage left behind and his bus terminal ticket on the seat. But this mm-hmm. story was only reported easily in a way we could find in one little blurb. And I mean a tiny, like, one to two line blurb that said 14 witnesses had seen him get on the bus and no one saw him when they got to their destination. Then there's also information brought in that says the bus driver didn't see him exit the vehicle. But again, a lack of substantial evidence to say that this guy even existed or, you know, that any of these people were truly interviewed and asked about it. We, we started to wonder <laughs> if it was just nothing more than pure urban legend. 
Pagan, you did a ton of legwork yesterday. I did. I did so much work. So Kyle came to me yesterday and he goes, I don't know if this guy actually existed. And I'm like, well, you know what? Let's look up vital records from Vermont and find his birth certificate. It's public record. So I call it vital records. I called up vital records for the town that he was supposed to thought to have been born in, which was Bennington. They had no record of him. So they said, contact the state vital records office. Well, that was going to be like two to six weeks via email. And I'm impatient (laughs) and I'm not going to wait that long. So I was like, Google. And so I got a free trial on Ancestry.com and I found his birth certificate, his marriage license, his draft card, and even articles stating about his missing, uh, him going missing. And I also found a memorial page set up for him by his kids. So it was definitely a wild ride. And he was such a character. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is he was born... In huh. what was it, 1882? Well, the question is, which which one, which answer do you want there, Peggy? We're, the, we're going off of the birth certificate. The birth certificate says <laughs> 1882. 1882, yes. His marriage license stated that he was 33, and it was what, that he was actually 35, 37? Uh, he, he said he was 33 at the time of his marriage when he was actually 46. 46, right. Okay. And then his draft card said that he was, I believe, 41, 41 and 42. And he was actually in his 50s. Yeah. So this man (laughs) very much lied about his age in everything. Very, very much. Yeah. So I had to throw together this document here to keep tabs on it because not all the bureaucracy would ask him for all the same information. So we'd have to like take these like these birthdays he's throwing down and like do the math because yeah i I mean technically said he was born in 82 i'm sorry that was eight sorry so he said he was born 1882 1895 and then i think finally 1892 pops up on his draft card which i thought was a little bit weird i don't know if he was like trying to get into the draft or trying to get drafted but he disclosed that he was 10 years younger than he was when he was filling out his draft card. He would have been 59, according to his birth certificate, but marked himself as 49. Interestingly enough, I believe the draft cutoff age was 45. So I don't know if he was trying to, like, help out and be patriotic. Like, I don't, I'm not sure. But either way, in his World War II draft card, he fudged it big time. Ten years. A lot. I did. And in chat, they are asking. Um, Shen, Shen is Sol, asking yeah. if yeah, Shen Sol is, is asking if uh, he was fishing for a younger wife. His when he married his wife, she was sixteen. Yeah, so, he was thirty three. Yeah, there, there was some there was some interesting things. Well, it was thirty three on the marriage license. I think he was actually older than that. Um, but yeah, he he was he was yeah, a character, an interesting one to say the least. Uh, but yeah, he went with missing on this bus and I believe, and it was mentioned by Mac earlier in the chat, you know, did they go, did they find a glitch? And I believe that he actually might have found matrix phenomenon. It's actually called, um, dimensional rift phenomenon or the matrix glitch phenomenon, either one. And basically he 
went through a portal to another dimension and he didn't make it out the other side. It's very strange. It's very bizarre. Or maybe, maybe he went through a fairy portal. I don't know. When it comes to the Fae, these two cases specifically really, to me, talk a lot about Fae. And there are, you know, talking, there are other cases that we'll talk about next week that um, very much talk about Bigfoot and the potential for Bigfoot kidnappings as well. But this one, I'm sorry, I'm pretty sure they would have seen Bigfoot on the bus take this guy (laughs) off. (laughs) But I think that maybe Fae or Dimensional Rift could explain it. But, wow. This when I read this, I was like, whoa, what the hell? I, I, I literally did a double take, read it three or four times because I didn't even believe what I was reading. That he went poof off of a bus that was moving. It was just it was too insane to even think about. Yeah, it's that too insane that I think maybe and, and too insane with the lack of evidence that has me feeling still a little strange about it, because <laughs> for as much as he did just kind of disappear Again, the lack of people's kind of surprise or uh, just the lack of investigation into this man's disappearance was pretty crazy. Didn't we say it was like a while before he actually got reported missing or something like that? It took him a bit and they definitely didn't get to two weeks yeah they didn't No, get... it was one week and then it was another week later that they started interviewing yeah that that was gonna say two weeks for the bus yeah. driver to get interviewed at least so i mean to me i i i worry i don't know that his was so much a case of Faye so much as this guy in my opinion may have gone out and unfortunately committed suicide his wife left him during the hmm. war and uh, depending on when exactly he was back to, to see and experience all of that, it had only been within like a, a seven year window that she left him versus when he went and disappeared. Maybe even a little bit less than that, come to think about it. But either way, it makes me wonder. And she disappeared on him in terms of just like she left. She just abandoned ship. She, she packed her bags and her kids reported her missing because yeah. she's like, oh, I'm going out for gas. Never came home. Mama left. Mama quit. <laughs> Wound up what in a, a nursing home, like on the opposite With side of the state yeah. or something like that. Like she wasn't that that far away either. Like, she, but she did just totally disappear. So it makes me uh, intentionally disappear, not not mysteriously, but intentionally. Uh, and so in this case, I wonder if he went and kind of just couldn't handle it and got off at some random stop and just ended it there. I don't really know. It doesn't seem ultra likely to me, but I would hope, uh, maybe wrongfully so and assuming, but I would hope that more information would have been brought forward about this guy if he really did truly just disappear and vanish. Like the circumstances that are set out where his luggage was left behind in the bus, his ticket and everything was left on the scene. That's all weird. Hmm. But if 14 people were on the bus, did any of them actually see the man disappear? They all just kind of claim that he wasn't there when they got off. So I'm like, I don't really know. Like, were people actually keeping tabs on him? Or was it kind of that collective, like, you don't really notice who's in the crowd next to you until you're, like, asked? And like, oh, yeah, there was someone over there. That was a different time, though. It was 1949. And, you know, 1949, we were... A lot more social with people, True. I think, than we are now. Now we're just like, keep your head down and don't talk to the weirdo sitting next to you kind of thing. But, you know, back then it was, you know, you'd sit down in a restaurant with somebody and you'd have a conversation with everybody within the surrounding area. Sure. So, yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe maybe they did see him. Maybe they talked to him. Maybe he flirted with the lady who was sitting next to him. Good Lord. Lord only knows. He he reminds me very much of a player. Yeah. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me if he turned out to be either. But he he was one of those people that he lived to just by the fact that he constantly lied about his age. He was living to be almost immortalized. But yet he was immortalized in this way. But at the same time, when it comes to Paula and her case, there were still so many articles that we found that they would say, oh, Paula Walden is still missing. Oh, she's still missing. Oh, she's still missing. And he would get a two-sentence blurb that was very tiny, Mm -hmm. just mentioning that he was another person that went missing on the same day, three years later. And that's it. Nobody knew really anything about this guy. And he never really got the same attention as anybody else either. Very true. So he was kind of this guy who wanted to be living to be younger and wanted to do these things. And he came across that way in all the things that we found. But yet when his disappearance happened, nobody remembered him. That's kind of spooky. It was it was kind of a spooky kind of backwards thing that they did it was just it was so strange and it's sad too because he was a a veteran that was living in a veteran's home Mm -hmm. in a soldier's home in st uh in bennington i believe and he was an older guy that had fought in the war and lived this crazy life had five kids and to kind of not really be remembered for the things that he did he was remembered for going missing and that was it it's it's a sad story. It really is. Creepy, but sad. It, it's very sad in that regard. And I think you guys can see why we maybe have such a challenging time tying the Bennington Triangle stuff together. Because mm-hmm. I think, Pagan, like you did so well at the beginning, you called out a lot of things, um, especially that make 411 cases. And yes. this guy, I, I, I mean, he lacks... Uh, more of these than he has in this case, right? Which is where he he's different than Paula. He's on a bus with people in public and moving and, you know, all of this. The thing that really made him a part of this is that he was, you know, in the vicinity of this triangle that's drawn up. So right. in that way, you know, the, the geology and stuff like that is is similar to, you know, whatever degree. Uh, but like boulder fields and all that, they might have been driving past those at the time. But still yeah. not nearly the amount of other stuff. No strange weather event. You're in a bus. You're not out hiking. So these ones had a hard, we had a hard time like drawing direct lines between them all. And unfortunately, that's where it leaves it way more in the realm of mystery than even I'd like to kind of leave it at i i want more threads to pull on but unfortunately especially for this guy we exhausted i think more threads than i'd seen a lot of other creators do like pagan i i told him like i'm so impressed you went so above and beyond i had been watching some videos and reading articles where they would reference one in another and it became unfortunately an echo chamber right someone was borrowing and it really these paranormal authors were turning it into more of an urban legend as they went through. And so for Pagan to go through and actually find birth dates and all that, because all these articles reference his different birth dates. So to some degree, these authors probably did a bit of legwork, but when they only grabbed one of his falsified records, well, who freaking Mm -hmm. knows? Like we, there, there was just so much that started to come out. Hence again, why we need to make this one into a two parter and we'll continue next week with more of these stories and more uh, more yes. strangeness, because there's just tons of it, Pagan. 
There is so much there. And, it, you know, the interesting thing is this happened over like a five year span. And there was a couple of cases outside of it that were not really validated. And there were a couple of cases more recently that have not really been validated other than the big ones that we kind of touched on. But there's so much to this case. There's so much to this place that we're just not going to be able to cover short of doing any and we say this so often but it's so true short of doing an actual irl investigation we will never get to actually get all the answers to the questions and even then we probably won't yeah so next week i'll be curious to see if chat knows any of they they pick up on any threads that we haven't you know seen or heard of in this because i i guess i i walk away with what you just said there pagan of like we need to go do an irl saying this is like the Regardless of what exactly is happening in this area, when you go missing here, you go missing big in the the, the yeah. Bennington Triangle. Like, it's not just like lovers' quarrels or something like that here. You know, these are all cases of honestly quite the opposite. Kind of like well-to-do people that are situated and not not even doing anything really crazy at the time, just you know, making a light hike on a hiking trail. Like, I going that i don't know we're gonna we're gonna dive in next week chat so make sure you stay subscribed for that we will be back uh the live recordings we're doing these thursday nights it's 7 p.m eastern time here on twitch twitch.tv forward slash kyle dempster studios uh we are loving the chat interaction you guys have been absolutely amazing today so keep it coming love seeing we've been reading through all these different stories as you guys have been posting them today in comments so absolutely love that if you're someone listening to the feed, try and come by. We'd love it. You drop a follow. Uh, if you are both here in chat or or online listening, make sure you go follow our Twitter. We have the Chaos and Shadow Twitter account at specifically twitter.com forward slash chaos and shadow. Go over there. Give that a like. We have Chaos and Shadow podcast on Instagram uh, and Patreon. Pagan, you want to tell them a little a little bit about Patreon? Yes. On Patreon this week, uh, coming tomorrow, we mm-hmm. have a article written on UFOs by Kyle. Yes. And earlier this week, we had a really great Tarot Tuesday written by me mm-hmm. that had a new moon kind of style information that you could find and kind of do your own little ritual uh, and kind of just do some interesting stuff with that. Coming uh, next week, I'm actually going to do one for the fall solstice of Mabin, and you will actually get to learn all about that. So there will be a nice tarot reading associated with that as well and a ritual. So check that out. And we've got some other goodies coming up as well. So head over to Patreon, check out the tiers. Definitely consider subscribing because there's so much information and so much good stuff that comes out of every single tier. And you won't be disappointed, I promise. Indeed. And he gets a free stuff. And if you are, I don't know what to tell you. We'll try harder. (laughs) Yeah. No, actually. We'll try harder. I will say, if you guys want to hear, I'm going to take this as a compliment for Patreon. We took this to heart. But one of our our patrons said, you guys have been doing so much content up here. They're like, I'm having a hard time even keeping up with it. And so we're like, okay, we will listen to that. We will rework our stuff. But just so you know, you're getting your bang for your buck. If you want to look at it like you're buying a cup of coffee, I mean, even for $5 a month, you get a whole episode. I think you double that fee and you get two bonus podcasts a month uh, and, you know, you just go up from there. So please, please, please. It helps the show a ton. And I will say, Pagan, we're we're piloting 
uh, this thing over here on Twitch called Rocks. If anyone wants to use that, uh, we'll, we'll put a link in the in the thing for people in the podcast form too. But if you guys want to try it here, it's exclamation point, point R-O-X. And these are kind of like little stickers or badges that you can acquire. Some are free, some you pay for, but the cool thing is 100% of it goes to us as streamers here. None of it gets caught up on any sort of transaction fees or anything like that, making it, I think, effectively the most straightforward uh, donation platform I've ever come across. And what you get out of it are just Mm -hmm. these cool little stickery things that are up there for a certain amount of time. Uh, We got one up there for Champ. We're gonna, we have two up there for the Bennington Triangle if people want to grab those, some free stickers as well. So I'm going to keep adding to that, especially if you guys like them. And you can submit things you'd like us to see turn into those rocks. So we'll, we'll try this out and see how it goes. Pagan, anything else you want to leave them for or with this week? Just come back next week to hear the rest of these crazy cases. That's right. That's right. Get your Bennington Triangle Part 2 on. And then we're off to Massachusetts for the month of October. Going to be a very exciting time. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We appreciate your reviews and all of that. And we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.